Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. I want to talk to you this morning about worship. It is crucial for us to know as Christians how to worship and why we worship and how the Lord expects us to worship. Amen? What is worship? Let's look this morning at Psalm 95. Psalm 95. This morning we'll read verses 1 to 7. This is the word of the Lord. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I want to talk to you this morning about a faithfully worshiping people. Amen? A faithfully worshiping people. Amen? How many of you are paying attention this morning? How many of you are distracted with the sound issues that we had, I'm a little distracted myself. Amen. We'll just give up on this. All right. There we go. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about worship in Jesus. And the reason is because there is a high priority in the word of God on worship and worshiping rightly. Amen. Over and over again, as God is meeting his people, the people of Israel, and revealing his will to them and his word to them, revealing his nature and his personality, he gives them increasing revelation about worship, about how to worship, about who he is and why he is to be worshiped. And there are often several things that he says, you are not to worship me in this way, and he gives an example, and it is the ways that the nations worship their God. And so God wants to be worshiped. He wants to be worshiped for who he is, 
And there are things that he says, you are not to worship me in a wrong way. One of the things that I think is important for us to understand is we live in the day and age where everything is commercialized. Everything is sellable. Everything can be marketed, branded, and sold, right? Including worship. Amen? And often the best way to get a product across and to get everyone interested in buying it is to streamline it in the way that is most acceptable to the largest amount of people, right? So they don't make right-handed cars, right? They, they make cars that are fittable to everyone. You can adjust your seat. Nowadays, you can adjust the height, the, the, how far down it goes, how far up it goes, how far close, how far back. The lumbar, you can be 6'8 or 4'9 and you can drive the same car. Everything has to be made to work for everyone. You go to the store, they got sizes to fit everything. You have to make it as broadly acceptable to as large a group as possible to get the maximum amount of profit. Well, I'll tell you today, if you listen to Christian radio, half the time, you can't tell if what you're listening to is a worship song or a romantic song from a 14-year-old girl to a 15-year-old boy, right? We call this Jesus is my boyfriend songs, right? So if, if you would do me a favor and humor me for a moment, consider some of the old songs. And I'm not, I'm not here to promote hymns over modern worship. The songs that we had this morning were good, strong theology, true worship. It was carefully crafted. Each word was carefully chosen and they're newer songs. Nothing wrong with that. Amen. But just something that we all know well. All right. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. That's verse 1. Verse 2. Summer and winter. Springtime and harvest. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Verse 3, pardon for sin and peace that endureth. You ought to just take off running right there. Peace that endures. Peace that won't quit. Peace that will fight. Peace that can last through fire and trouble and storm and cancer and death and highs and low. Peace that just won't Mm. You'll make me preach on a hymn this morning. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Lord of mercy, I could just camp out on this song, man. Oh, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. (laughs) These blessings all mine with 10,000. Beside. Hey, that's a theology class right there. If you can't worship to that, your heart's broke. Amen? Your heart is broke. If that doesn't stir something in you, if that don't light the fire, your wood's wet. Amen? Right? If that don't stir you up, your spoon's broke. That ought to do something in your soul. These all blessings are mine with ten thousands beside. 
And then it says, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, now forever will be the refrain. O great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. That will carry you through cancer. That will reveal a God that you will forever be discovering for a million years. And you turn on Christian radio and the lyrics are, give me millions of smooches, daddy God. Right? I mean, it's just light and fluffy and easy and just, we we take the intimacy and it's turned into irreverence. Right? Does scripture say that we worship, that we cry, Abba, Father? Yes, amen. Intimacy, closeness, nearness. But there's a lot of worship, not all of it, amen. I love modern worship. I love modern songs. I like acoustic guitar and electrics, and I love, you know, the toms and doom, 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 Right? I love, I love that. But it's so easy to make the music all about getting your foot going, and you care about nothing that you're digesting. And we've got a culture today where we are being sold a product of worship that is not worship to God. It is entertainment for shallow Christians. Amen? And it's about getting your foot going and not your heart going. Amen? What has convicted me through the years as someone who is a struggling musician, right? For years, uh, I had a very difficult time learning music. And so for me, I was looking for songs that were easy to play. And often I would find songs and like the songs, learn the songs to be able to play those songs and lead them in worship. And sometimes I would be conflicted because the song that I was learning, I thought I would never sit down with those lyrics and teach expositionally truth from scripture from those lyrics. Whereas a lot of, if, let me, let me just tell you, this is the measure of an appropriate worship song. If when you read it and hear it and think about it, not when you listen to it, if you break the lyrics down into just the lyrics and you can read it and immediately your mind goes to scriptures and you can say this is a fair, beautiful representation of scriptural ideas that can make me rejoice in truth and say that I know God better because of it, then that is a worship song. Amen? 
And if you can't say that, then it is a product that has been sold to you to get your foot going and not your heart going. Amen? And so in our day, we are in need of discernment. We need to know what worship is because the things that we're being told are worship are often not worship. And we have to recognize part of that is because of the fact that the contemporary music industry is a profitable business, right? It's a profitable business. And so you have these teenagers that learn to sing, learn to play. They love music. They want it to be their passion in their life. Is that all wonderful? Absolutely. Did you hear these up here this morning? Praise God. We need old people and young people leading us in worship, doing it together. Amen? It needs to be both. And I love uh, when Brother Black gets up here and he says, Ain't no grave. Right? I want that. If we don't got that, there's a problem. I want that style and I want the modern worship. I want all of it. Amen? We want this mixture of all of it being represented because we're all here. Amen? Are we a young church? No. Are we an old church? We're all together here to worship Jesus. Amen? And so we can have that mixture. But the issue is that you get these young people who can sing, they have talent, they can play music, they can sing well, and they have no training in theology or scripture or how to study the word of God. Most of them are out on the road traveling all of the time to go preach and to lead songs at all of these different venues and churches and concerts. They don't get to go to church. They don't hear the Bible taught well. Their theology is a mile wide and half an inch deep. And they're the one writing our songs, right? And then how many of them, if you look at the news and you follow the Christian music, uh, contemporary Christian music scene, you will find that there is a great, great, great many of them who have big names and who are now not walking with the Lord. And many of them have said, this is who I thought God was And I was wrong, and this is what I thought ministry was, and it wasn't, and I got hurt by the Christian, contemporary Christian music industry, and I don't like it, and I walked away from God. Well, they didn't really know what worship was, and they didn't really know who God was, but they were forced into this machine that hurt them. They were a marketable asset. They were abused by the uh, monetization of worship, right? Is that their fault? No. They're teenagers, they're early 20s. If they've not been discipled and taught and cared and guarded into this, it's a dangerous thing, right? It's a very dangerous thing. And many of them don't have the preaching and the experience with Jesus to get them through. How many of you know who Keith Green was? Raise your hand. You know who Keith Green was? How many of you have ever watched his biography? One of the greatest things I'm grateful for is that man right there sent me a link to that biography and it shook me to my core. You talk about a Christian. I mean, this man was a Christian, right? And when he got saved, so radically changed, he had studied piano since he was a young boy and he was an amazing classical musician, an amazing musician, poet, all of these different things. His whole life revolved around the arts of music and poetry and songwriting and all of these things. And when he got saved, he said, Lord, if music is not what you want me to do, I will never touch a piano again. He didn't assume because this is my marketable talent, therefore that's the way I'm going to serve Jesus and make money. He said, my life belongs to you and I want to serve you and do what you've called me to do. 
and he laid it down. Amen? You know what we need more of? We need crucified talent. We need people who have said, music is what I love, but I'm willing to die to it if that's not what you want me to do. Therefore, it's not my idol. And when he laid it down, he began to do the work of the Lord and write songs for the Lord and worship the Lord. And he got signed to Christian labels. And you know what he did? He got convicted. He said, Jesus said, freely received, freely give. Don't sell the gospel. And the man became convicted. And he went to his record label and said, I cannot sell these songs. I cannot sell it. I know that I'm contractually obligated to, but I am not willing to sell these things anymore. Either you'll release me from my contract or you'll sue me and take everything that I own, but I will not sell it. I won't do it. His record label released him from that and the man began making his albums and anyone who sent him a letter asking for a record, he would send it. And some would send it with $1 check, some would send it with a $5,000 check, some would send it with nothing. And all of them would get a record, right? And the money that he got, he didn't just use on himself. He used it for his discipleship program. You want to talk about radical. This guy went out and bought a farm out in the middle of Texas so that he could take homeless people and drug addicts over there and make disciples and talk to them about Jesus. Amen? The point was, he saw his ministry as a ministry to the Lord and the people of God and not a scheme to make money. And he saw the system and said, something about this is broken and I can't market God to people. And that is a rare thing in our day and age. Can I tell you, I'm 34 years old, four years of Bible college, and if I ever, I don't believe I will, but if I ever got to a point where my ministry and my music was something that could be used to touch millions of people, got on the radio. I don't know that I could navigate that market well. And you're going to take an 18-year-old who hardly knows anything, and they're going to say, if you want to be used by God, if you want to reach these teenagers, you got to dress like this and act like this and sound like that and do your hair like this, and we've got to make you marketable because Jesus isn't marketable enough. And so we've got to market you, and we've got to make you cool and you entertaining and you fun and you attractive because Jesus isn't enough. That's just the fact of it. Listen to the testimonies of the people that have come out of the music industry, the Christian music industry, and they will tell you how marketable things are and how much it's geared around the lowest common denominator. And it's not about the Lord. And it will break your heart. It will grieve you. My heart grieves over this. And so I say that to you this morning, not to bash them, right? It's just something that has gotten in to the recipe and it's polluted the thing. And many of the people who are doing it are sincere, but they don't know how to, to be true to their convictions in that atmosphere. Okay, so I'm not I'm not here to bash them. I'm not bashing anyone that you hear on the radio. I don't know their heart, but I can tell you this: many of the songs that you hear on the radio, many of the music that you hear, you could sing it in a Mormon church and nobody would know the difference. You could sing it in a Muslim temple to Allah, nobody would know the difference. It's so generic about who God is that it's it's non-discernible. And I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to faithfully worship the Lord. Faithfully worshiping the Lord. 
We've got to have discernment as God's people. Amen? We've got to have wisdom. The Lord has to help us. Psalms chapter 95. Psalm chapter 95. We can break this down into two easy categories. Verses 1 to 5 is an invitation to worship the Creator and King. An invitation to worship the Creator and King. And verse 6 to 7 is an invitation to worship our Redeemer and Shepherd. Amen? And these are the things that you often see the categories of God revealing Himself. I'm your Creator. I'm your Redeemer. Redeemer. I'm the one that created you, but sin broke you. And I'm the one that went and got you and brought you back to myself and did something about your sin. Amen. And this is the main two ways that God has revealed himself as the originator of our life. He originates our existence and he originates our redemption. He is our creator and he is our redeemer. And we are here to worship him for both things. Amen. Let's look at it this morning. Verse one. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. This is an invitation of the psalmist calling to God's people and saying, hey guys, let's come together. Let's come and join our voices together and our clapping together and our songs together and let's together see God and worship him. Amen? Let's come together in this corporate style and together as a people, let's honor the Lord. This is the point. This is what we want to do. We want to worship together. How are we going to do that? We're going to sing to the Lord. We're going to make a joyful noise. We're going to come into his presence with thanksgiving. And we're going to make a joyful noise to him. Amen? And so we're going to sing. We're going to make a joyful noise. We're going to come into his presence with thanksgiving. And we're going to make a joyful noise again. And so these are the expressions of worship. Amen? We're going to sing. We're going to make a joyful noise. We're going to praise God. We're going to honor him. We're going to express our love and gratitude and the honor in our hearts for who he is. Amen? Notice that the object of this worship is the Lord. Amen? We're going to sing to the Lord. We're going to Make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. We're going to come into his presence with thanksgiving. And we're going to make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. The object of worship is God. I know that this seems irrelevant, right? It almost should go without saying. But I want you to think about how often we consider worship to be about us. How often do we come into worship looking for us to be encouraged, us to be moved upon, us to be stirred, us to get an experience or have an experience? Does the word of God describe us as having experiences in worshiping the Lord? Yes. Is it encouraging? Does it give joy? Yes. But as a byproduct, not a prime product. Amen? We don't come to worship to come and get an experience from God. Amen? Just just consider the way that we talk about worship. Man, worship was wonderful today. Worship was wonderful. Or I didn't like worship today. Right? I heard one preacher say, that's okay, it wasn't for you. 
right? Right? It's okay that you didn't like it. It wasn't for you. We were singing to the Lord. Amen? And so we come to worship him, to give him praise, to give him thanks. I have known this truth, thought this truth, and thought that I was living this truth, but I've never been so convicted about how much even my own heart thinks that worship is about me than when we were in India. And I remember being there on a rooftop, Pastor Blessing took us, and we get there to this place, and the only places large enough for them to worship is on the roof of their house. And so all of these people get up onto the roof of the house and we're all sitting there and they had no one to lead them in worship, but their pastor. And the pastor was a very small man. He was not marketable. Nothing about his appearance looked good on a magazine cover or a CD cover. His voice was not wonderful. It wasn't even marginally acceptable. His pitch was off. I mean, just everything about his tempo was off. Nothing was great about it. But this was a man that knew God. And this was a man that for the work of the Lord was poor and loved people and knew that at any time he might lose his life. And he got on that roof and he began to sing in Tamil and I recognized the song. And he sang, Though none go with me, Still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. His voice cracked. It wasn't pretty. But he was singing to the Lord. And the people who were with him were singing to the Lord. And I thought nothing about this needs to be recorded and sent out to the world and go listen to the harmonies and listen to the sound and listen how good it is. And all of it flows together so well. It was awful. You would have been better to put some rusty screws and bolts into a bucket and shake the thing to get a more pleasant sound. But in his heart and in their hearts they sang to the Lord. Amen? Nothing's wrong with organizations, sounds, harmonies. God made it all. Here, let us sing to the Lord. Amen? The psalmist talks about playing skillfully unto the Lord. There's nothing wrong with excellence in worshiping God and good sound systems and good musicians and good singers. But if we come thinking that we are here to be entertained and not here to corporately give something to the Lord as honor to His name, we have missed the mark. Worship is not about you. Amen? Just in the same way that getting to heaven is not about you. American evangelical preaching turned the gospel into man getting out of his problem with sin so that heaven was the thing that he was after. Do you want to go to heaven when you die? Yes, I don't want to go to a dirty, rotten devil's hell. I want to go to heaven and worship the Lord. Well, come get Jesus, and you'll get to go to heaven when you die. And many men would be just as happy to get to heaven without God there as they would to just live in this world without the Lord. The purpose is to be redeemed unto the Lord and to honor the Lord and to love the Lord. Amen? And it is the same with worship. 
It is that we come to honor Jesus and to love Jesus and to praise Jesus, to thank God for who he is, that we sing to the Lord. Notice that these are beautiful expressions of the Lord. Verse 1, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Another one, let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Do you notice that worship to the Lord is sensual? Sensual. This is a word that in our culture is often used in a negative tone, sensual. She dressed sensually. He dressed sensually. They're sensual people, meaning the senses, the things that you feel, emotions and and things like that. But worship is supposed to be sensual. It is supposed to be things that you can feel in your heart. Amen. You, You sing to the Lord. You make a joyful noise to the Lord. You come with thanksgiving, a glad and a cheerful heart to praise and to say, Lord, I'm grateful to you. I appreciate you and all the things that you've done in my life. But again, the the problem with that is we have marketed that. We've come to get an experience. And we've come to let the sensual be about us and not about the Lord. Amen. How many of us would even notice if we started singing a song and we built up and we get to the crescendo and the drums are just fire, right? I mean, Brother Matt is on it today and just, and that bass drops and we just change the lyrics to a grocery list and we just sing it so loud you can barely hear the, the songs and just, celery, potatoes, cream of chick. And nobody would even notice because it's about the emotional high and we're getting excited. It's all wonderful. Yay! Right? Sorry. If that was silly, I'm sorry. If I grieve the spirit of the Lord, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm just, I'm mocking, right? Because it's silly. Because many times we don't even notice the things that are going on. We don't pay attention. And that's one of the problems with music is it can become so hypnotic that you're not even consciously engaging anymore. Worship is meant to be sensual, right? It's meant to be something you can feel and express and have strong, powerful feelings. But that in itself is not the end. It is to feel those things about the Lord. Amen? Because if you behold the Lord, you will be filled with passion. Amen? You will be filled with excitement. And so we are to have that passion and that joy, but it is not to prostitute it and make that about us. It is about the glory of the Lord and finding the beauty of His glory. Amen? Loving Him for who He is. Why? This is an invitation to worship. To, inv- to worship who? To worship our Creator and King. Listen to what it says in verse 3. For the Lord is a great God. He's a great God and a great King above all gods. He is great and a great King above all gods. Notice in the Old Testament that the culture that they are facing, that they are dealing with, is an idolatrous culture with myriads and myriads of other gods. Gods of 
the harvest, gods of war, gods of sensuality, gods of rain, gods of earth, all of these other things. And the point is that they're saying this God is above all other things. He is above all other gods. He is the God of gods. He is the king of kings. He rules over all things. He is sovereign. He is the God of God and the king of kings. He is above all things. And listen to this in verse 4. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. You know what this is? This is an apologetic worship psalm. It is answering the objections of the surrounding nations who criticize Yahweh, the the God of Israel. It is saying to them, listen, the gods around you are telling them that there's a God of the earth and a God of the sky and a God of the mountains and a God of the seas and a God who controls the harvest and a God who controls the rain. And there's all these different gods. And if you want them to be happy with you, you have to worship them all and honor them all. And he's saying... This God made everything. He owns it all. He made it all. He is the God who created everything. It is something that is engaging their mind to think about God because the glory of God is not a feeling. It is truth. Amen? He is the God of truth. And Jesus says, those that worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. And apart from truth, there is no true worship. Amen? Worshiping the Lord. He is a great God and a great king above all gods. This is the etymology of the word worship. Is It was used for honoring someone. You see this in Genesis 18 and Genesis 19. That when important people come, you see the people falling down to worship them or to honor them. It was used for kings, right? So this is God taking the language of the world and concepts and ideas that are behind it to teach them truth about who he is. And so the people would honor kings and and prophets and priests and all of these important things. And the Lord is saying, the way that you see them and you're humbled, the way that you see kings and you say, we should honor them because they could have our head cut off, right? We want to show respect to the king. They're the king. We're not. And we feel humbled in their presence. He says, I am the king above all kings. I rule in authority. And when we know the Lord and we understand who the Lord is, there ought to be a humility in our hearts to fall down and to honor him. Amen? To feel small in his presence. I tell you, this is the root of all true worship. To see the Lord is to see how great he is, and to see how great he is is to feel how small you are. When's the last time you ever went to the mountains or to the ocean and you just took the time to look at it and feel small? Amen? Instead of rushing to go, oh, that's beautiful. Let me pull out my camera and take a picture to make sure it can go on Instagram. And everybody can go, I'm jealous you got to go and I didn't get to go. Oh. Right? But you just get to sit there and stare at it and think how large it is, how massive it is, how much it overwhelms you. And these are people who have been called to consider this God is the God of the heights 
of the mountains. He's the God of the depths. The depths are in his hand, right? You have to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig to get to this deep place of the earth to be able to get that dirt in your hands. And the Lord already holds it there. He holds the mountains in his hands. He holds the depths in his hands. The sea is his. The sky is his. All of it is his. And so you sit in awe of creation and then you think there's a God who reigns above it all. It was three years ago that I was in North Carolina. It was Christmas, and I was supposed to be happy and excited and filled with joy. And the issues that were going on with this building and trying to get out of this building and realizing how frustrating the contract was with this building and how badly we needed to get another one. And it was just a time where we had had lots of conversations and meetings and we talked about things. And the conversation was, here are all the things we need. Here's what needs to happen. And there's no way to do it. And we just left discouraged, right? You pray and you encourage one another with faith. And then you walk away and your heart really reveals how you feel. It's like, man, I don't, I don't know how God's going to do anything. And I remember just telling my wife, honey, I, I'm sorry, but I just, I need to take a walk. And so I left my in-law's house and there's a, a road that circles around. It's about two miles. And so I just went walking and I got to an empty part of the road and there were no houses, no, no cars, nothing. And it was just this big open field and this beautiful tree line and it was fall and leaves were changing colors. And I could just have an honest moment of worship and prayer. And I just began to weep and grieve and cry and just say, Lord, I don't see any way that this can happen. I'm frustrated. I feel like as the pastor, it's my responsibility to seek you for wisdom. And I don't feel that you've given us, given me the wisdom. I don't know what to do. I'm frustrated and I'm discouraged. And as I sat there, I began to just have the Holy Ghost minister to my heart and stir my heart. And I thought about the psalm that says that every single hair of your head is numbered. Right? Not, not just numbered in a way that God knows how many hairs are on your head, right? But when it says that your hairs are numbered, it means that each hair has its own number. From the time that you were a baby to the time that you were grown, each of them has a number. And so the Lord looks at your head and he knows that particular hair is hair 25,394, right? Just, he knows everything about you. And Jesus says, he says, Consider the sparrows. Not one of them falls to the ground without your father knowing. And I looked at that tree, the tree line that was there, and I thought the Lord knows every single leaf on that tree. And he knows the ones that have already turned from green to yellow to brown and fallen to the ground. And he knows the ones that are still green and he knows the ones that are still yellow. And he knows every single one of them. And he watches out for all of his creation. And I just began to be overwhelmed with the reality of the care and attention to detail of our father, our great God and king. And my heart became refreshed and overwhelmed with the knowledge of my creator. And I just thought, Lord, you know me. You know my needs, you know my heart, you know my burdens, you are my God, you are my creator, and you know everything that's going to happen every way, and I just commit myself to you, 
Amen? Because I'm the pastor of this church, but I'm not the God of this church. Amen? I'm not the sovereign of this church. I don't know all things, and I can't do all things. And so all I can do is lead God's people to the one that can and say, Lord, this is your church. This is your building. These are your bills. These are your problems. These are your issues. And I don't know what to do about it, but I praise God that you do. And... Tuesday, we signed the contracts. We've done everything. We're completely out of the contract for this building. We, we don't own anymore. We're free from it. We got out. No more guarantors responsible for the building. The, we, we ended up having to pay less than half of what we were originally going to have to pay for the buyout fee. We're going to be able to use the church for the next six weeks to prepare for the other building. We don't have to pay rent on this building, we're saving like over $31,000. And I just never could have imagined how the Lord would bring these things to pass. And I'm just grateful that it doesn't depend on me. Amen? How many of you have got children that you think you don't know where they are, you don't know what they're going through, you don't know what they're doing, but there's a God that's there with them and He knows their heart and He knows what to do about them. Amen? How many of you can look at your own heart and say it's in turmoil, it's in grief, or it's frustrating, or I'm struggling to believe, and I can't even understand my own heart, but there is a God who is the interpreter of hearts, and He knows every secret, and every need, and every burden, and every tear, and He counts your tears and keeps them in a bottle. And I'm grateful for my God. And so we give Him praise and we worship and we thank Him for who He is. That announcement was supposed to come at the end of service. In verse 6, an invitation to worship our Redeemer and our Shepherd. Oh, come. Verse 6, oh, come. Let's gather together because it's good to praise the Lord in private. It's good to worship in private. But God did not save individual people. He's saving a corporate people. Amen? He's not saved you to be alone. He saved you to be together with the body. Amen? And so God is all about a people and getting a people for himself. And the, the psalmist says, don't just say, oh, I can worship at home. Oh, I can pray at home. I'll honor. Well, the scripture says, honor the Lord in your hearts. Amen. Come and do that together with all of us. Amen? So come, let's gather, let's be together. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Worship bow down and kneel. Amen. This is that idea of humility, that we've seen the Lord, that he's big, that he's the God over all things, and we're humbled in his presence. Amen. That we're made low in his presence. Amen. That we feel small in his presence, that we know that the Lord is great and we're humbled before him. Amen. This is what John did in Revelation. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And the Lord appeared to me. And he gives this revelation of who he was. He saw the Lord. And he says, I fell at his feet as a dead man. I was overwhelmed with the reality of who God was. Can I tell you, nothing is so needed 
in the church today as a fresh revelation of who God is. We've got lots of things happening in the church that are good and exciting. A lot of things that are happening all over the world. Doctrines are moving forward. Ideas are moving forward. Things are being branded churches and their pet doctrines are getting promoted over and over again. Calvinism is sweeping over the nation in a renewed way. Pentecost is sweeping over the nation. A lot of doctrines, a lot of ideas, a lot of charismatic ideas or seeker-sensitive ideas or or church uh, marketing ideas. All of these things happening in waves, ebbs and flows throughout history and people making big deals about this and big deals about that. Some of it good, some of it not good. But the point is, all of it is this emphasis on these things. And do we need... Emphasis in revelation on doctrine. Praise God, Martin Luther had a revelation of justification by faith alone. Amen? Praise God for that. Praise God there was a revelation that there's still an experience of the presence and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in this world today that didn't stop with the apostles. Praise God for those things. But all of it is second behind the need of a revelation of Jesus. Amen? I want doctrine. I want truth. I want these ideas. But above everything else, I need a revelation of Jesus. And when that happens, we will be humbled. And the way to know that most people have had a revelation of a doctrine or an idea and not a revelation of Jesus is that they are arrogant about their pet doctrines instead of humble. Amen? A lot of preachers, a lot of Christians want to argue, bash one another. You don't know what I know. You don't believe what I believe. You don't do what I do. Man, your theology might even be right on, but you haven't seen the Lord because you're arrogant. Amen? That has been me. That's been me. I've been that person. But if we see the Lord, we'll be humbled and we'll worship Him in humility. And so it says, Come and let us worship, bow down, and kneel before the Lord, our Maker, the one who made us. But listen to this redemptive language in verse 7. He says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. It got personal there. Amen. Praise God that he's the God that made the mountains. Praise God that he's the God that made the seas and he made the mountains and he made the depths and he made the earth. All of that is wonderful, but he is my God. He is my shepherd. He is the one that leads me and loves me and cares about me. And I am grateful that I get to worship him because he's the one that forgives me. He's the one that changes me. He's the one that walks with me. And I do have a personal relationship with this God. Amen. And so we are to worship him. We are to say he is our God. And I tell you today, our worship must be reverential and humble and excited and loud. And it's okay to clap loud and it's okay to praise and to dance and to shout and be excited. And that's wonderful. And we also need to know that we can know the Lord for ourselves. Amen. And so this morning, I encourage you, I plead with you, make sure that you know the Lord and make sure that your worship is centered on this idea that I come to know him and to worship him for who he is. Amen. This is worship and there is no other acceptable form. I want you to look with me at one last verse and we're going to close one last verse and we'll probably have another time to study just this verse later. But where Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, John chapter 4, 
And this woman at the well is a Samaritan, and the Samaritans and the Jews didn't like each other, and they worshipped differently, and they worshipped there at their place. And Jacob gave them the well, and he had a a place that he worshipped the Lord there, and so they worshipped the Lord there. And there was this conflict. You say that we're supposed to go to the temple and worship there, but Jacob, our father, worshipped here at this mountain, and so we feel like it doesn't matter where we worship. And so she says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said in verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus is saying there there is a truth that God can be worshipped from anywhere. There is a truth to that. But he says in verse 22, he says, But you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know or who we know for salvation is from the Jews. And so this is Jesus' critique to her. Yes, you have a point that it's not just the location that matters. It's worshiping the Lord with a true heart. But the issue is the people of Samaria had a warped theology and a warped idea of who God was. And he says, yes, you're worshiping and it doesn't really matter where you're worshiping, but you don't know who you're worshiping. You're worshiping an abstract, contorted idea of who God is. And the Jews, maybe their heart isn't right, right? They have this form, the structure. They have the right theology. They know who they worship, but they're not really worshiping in spirit and in truth. And Jesus says both have to happen. You don't just have to have a sincerity in worship, and you don't have to have just a true knowledge of who God is in worship. You have to have both. And so Jesus says this in verse 23. He says, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And so you've got a lot of the young people today and a lot of the music that's going on and they would say, I'm a sincere worshiper and I love Lord and I worship him, but their theology is weak and they don't know the Lord from the word of God and it's not enough that they are sincere. And then you've got people who say, well, we've got songs with good theology and good truth and our hearts are dead as sin, right? And you can't have one without the other. Well, I don't sing and shout and praise and I'm very quiet. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, with no enthusiasm, no joy, no love for the Lord, I've got truth and no fire. And you can't just say, oh, I worship the Lord with abandon. Daddy God, give me lots of smoochy kisses. I love you, Lord. You're amazing. Right? And no theology. It's got to be both. I see the Lord in truth and I know him. And with a passionate heart, I give him all of the praise that is in my heart. And so Jesus says, the hour is coming when that will happen. Both people will know the Lord and they will worship him in spirit from their heart with a true sincerity. He says, for the father is seeking seeking such people to worship him. The Lord is looking for those people. Will you be those people? Will we be those people who say we care about the lyrics and the truth and the spirit behind the songs that we sing and we care that our hearts are on fire for him and we want to worship the Lord in sincerity and truth. Amen. Brother Renee, if you would come and we're going to take a moment and we're going to worship.
And we're just going to ask God to help us to be faithful worshipers. Amen? To say, Lord, can you, will you let my life be the answer to your searching? If you're looking, if you're seeking for people to worship you in that way, will you touch my heart and make me one of those people that says, I know the Lord and with all of my heart I worship him. Amen? I know the Lord and with all of my heart I worship him. If you would, please take a moment and stand with me. The word of the Lord says, honor the Lord in your hearts. Amen? Honor the Lord in your hearts. And we take a moment and we just honor him and think on who he is and ask the Lord to reveal himself to us. Lord Almighty, we thank you that your word says that we can come into your presence with thanksgiving, that worship is to be in your presence and that your presence brings joy and peace and comfort and encouragement and wisdom and love and hope. Lord, we're not just seeking to get something out of worship. We're seeking to get you. We want to know you. We want to love you. We want to honor you. And Lord, these are trying times. It has always been that there were obstacles to true worship. There's always been obstacles to true worship. Isaiah had to speak for the Lord and warn the people of Israel that they had all the form and all the structure. And they came to the temple in droves to worship. But you told the people through Isaiah that you were grieved at their new moons and their Sabbaths, their times to come together for worship. You were frustrated that they trampled your courts because they came into your presence, but they dishonored you in their hearts. It is no different today. There are obstacles to our true worship. But Lord, you are patient with us and you desire to teach us to worship in spirit and in truth. And we are your people. We are the people of your pasture. You are our God and our creator and our redeemer. We want to know you. We want to love you. We want to honor you. Lord, we ask you that you would come and you would help us. Help us to have a pure worship that is acceptable to you. That you would receive our worship from our hands, from the songs of our mouth, from our dance and our praise and our excitement. Come and have your way in us, Lord. Teach us to know you and to worship you. Saints, just deal with the Lord. Let him reveal himself to you. And let him give you his joy in worship. Oh